welcome up Edson one more time. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You ready? I think so. Yeah. Well, just while you're up here, thank you yeah. for your time and effort in this. It's much appreciated. Yeah. My joy. Yeah. We'll pray. You can yeah. get started. Father, thank you for this man. Uh, thank you for uh, the wisdom that you have uh, given to him and uh, the words that you are speaking to him uh, into the lives of, of, our, uh, of our body here. Yeah. God, I pray that you would uh, again move in our hearts and our minds uh, to hear from you, uh, to know you more, and to understand the depths of your love mm-hmm. that you've come after us with. Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I wanted to start by complimenting Matt and Drew and Chris and I'm sure I'll forget somebody, Annie and Scott, who's running sound and keeps my slides going because you guys are doing a great job while Aaron's gone. Um, Aaron is on a sabbatical, as you'll probably know, and I realized that he does it about every five years and I'm like, yes, I don't have to speak again for five years. This has been great. Um, I was going to give you an update on Joey, my car, um, but Renda said, if you do that, it's going to come across like you're a little obsessed, and people are going to be like, that's just kind of weird, like three weeks in a row about some car. I really think you probably should not do that. I was like, I have a picture to show of my car, and she's like, no, you can't do that. So um, I'm not going to show you my picture, because I'm not really obsessed with my car. Uh, You should go on to the next slide, Scott, before I get in trouble with Renda. <laughs> so yeah, that's my car. <laughs> um, no, don't clap. Renda will be mad at you too. Um, so <laughs> no, actually, I think she likes my car too. This morning, I did not get to drive it. Renda drove me to church this morning. Um, I wanted to finish out my email story. I I don't know who all gets emails, so I always kind of like retell the story a little bit, but um, I was a teenager and um, started feeling sick and then got fevers. And I don't know how much you all know about malaria. Um, It's kind of a cyclical fever. So you'll feel great for a little while and then you get a horrible fever and shaking chills. And it just gets worse every time it comes on. And uh, so that happened to me and we lived in the middle of nowhere. Um, and my parents kind of kept a pharmacy because what we had is what we had. And so my parents gave me chloroquine to treat the malaria and it wasn't working. Um, and I remember they started talking because there was news that there was a resistant, chloroquine resistant malaria. Um, as so many diseases, malaria became resistant to a lot of medications. Um, and they decided that's probably what I had. And um, what I didn't say in the email was that my dad had actually bought the new medication that was supposed to work on this kind of malaria. It's called Fancidar. Um, But what he didn't know, being a farmer and not a physician, is that he had the dose wrong. So when he gave it to me, he actually gave me one-tenth of the right amount of medication. So surprisingly, I wasn't getting better. 
And I remember I woke up one morning just shaking and a super high fever. My mom took my temperature and she was, she was worried about me and put me in a cold shower, which if you have a high fever and shaking chills is not a pleasant experience. And um, they decided to take me to the hospital, which is three or four hour drive, rough roads, chance of getting stuck, that kind of thing. Um, and about halfway through the journey, I don't remember a lot more about it because I was delirious. Um, and what happens with malaria, I mentioned in the email, but um, the parasite gets into your red blood cell and reproduces. And then on kind of a timed event, all of your red blood cells that are infected burst open with new parasites that go other places and, and infect other red blood cells. And so over time, you lose your red blood cells. And you actually, if you die from malaria, you die of lack of oxygen because there's no red blood cells to carry your oxygen. So I was somewhere in that later phase of that process. Um, and I remember a little bit, I remember a doctor examining me. Um, I remember getting an IV started. Um, and that's about all I remember. And then I woke up the next morning, um, very, very weak. And he had gotten the right dose in me and I ended up being okay. Uh, after a few weeks of treatment. Um, it's interesting, though, because it's a story for me that reminds me that we all have this, what I call a veneer or a belief that we have control over our lives. Uh, we make decisions, we do these things, we have plans, we uh, choose things, we, we feel like we have control. But it just takes a split second for us to realize that that's really not what's actually going on. We don't have control over our own lives, and we know it when something like that happens. Um, so what I want to talk about today is how God loves us and has a future for us, and how he is in that future, even though we're not, we not, don't even know what, what is coming tomorrow. Um, what is... What does my future look like, and how do I live courageously no matter what, what, comes, what comes through the door tomorrow? What is the secret? Um, there's three books that um, I use for this series. Um, if you'll put up that next slide for me, Scott. So the one on the left, I absolutely love. It's actually a women's divorce devotional that Renda has not read, and I have. Um, <laughs> but... She's, she's great, and she really has some wonderful thoughts about uh, God's love for us. So I highly recommend that. And then the one on the right is by Eugene Peters Peterson. Um, Patterson? Peterson. He's the guy that uh, translated the message, the, the whole Bible. Um, and this devotional is pretty cool because he does a little 60-day devotional. Each day is a devotional on a book of the Bible. Now, there's 66 books, so some of them he combines together that are really short. But it's wonderful because he, you get to hear his thought on what that book means for that day. So I love that. And there's a lot in it about love. Um, and then the one in the middle is sold out, not because it's a famous uh, book that is, everybody has bought copies of, but because it sold like 20 copies and then disappeared. Uh, it's by me. <laughs> But anyway, if you want to see some Africans or read some African stories, uh, you can grab me or Renda at some point, and maybe we can find a copy for you. Um, it is available on Amazon, but it just says sold out, so that's life. All right. Um, 
I need you guys to read with me. So our kind of our basis for our whole uh, time together has been Psalm 136. And this morning, instead of what I've written, we're going to actually use the scripture. So if you all will join me, and remember you're reading the italics. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. To him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters. He remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. It's so important to remember to be thankful to God for what he's done. Uh, And one of the things that I do from time to time is I will just sit down and write. Uh, Some of you keep a diary. Renda has a cool five-year diary where she writes a little bit about what happened on each day. And then when you look back at it, you see what happened on that day for five years in a row, that day of the year. Um, it's important to keep a record of what God's done for us. Uh, speaking about house church, for example, we in our house church keep a little prayer journal. Um, and if you look through it, it's full now. We actually got to the end, I think, last year of this little prayer journal. We have all these prayer requests that we've written down. And you go back through it, and Renda marks out, she's the one that keeps it for us. She marks out when the prayer is answered. And if you look at it, the whole thing is full of X's where she's marked out all the prayers that we prayed that have been answered. Um, it, that helps us build our, our faith and our ability to look forward to tomorrow. Um, so what happens to me, uh, just to keep it real, is that um, I sometimes lay awake at night when I am dealing with a problem. And the lie that Satan tries to tell me is that all of this religious stuff that you do is kind of fake. Are you sure God's really on your side? Are you sure there's a God? Are you sure Christianity is the right thing to believe? Those kinds of sort of little whispers. And you'd be like, well, you're preaching, Edson, so you couldn't possibly have that as a temptation. Um, And yet that is something that I struggle with sometimes. And so um, I've learned now, I have like a little thing that I sort of say back to the the night to remind myself that what I believe is, is not just a bunch of religious rules. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. Um, But it's really based on reality. And I just wanted to share some of that with you um, because I think some of these things are not only interesting but also helpful to me. Um, In 1900, 54% of people had not heard about Jesus. Today that number is down to 28%, which is, I think, remarkable. One of the things that has become a common theme uh, theologically in the last, probably the last 25 years is that there are several scriptures that promise Christ will return or will not return until everyone has heard about him. And so there are a bunch of mission organizations who target specifically people groups that have not heard about Christ. And that's one of the reasons why this number has gone down so much. Um, Because there are a lot of people that have never heard about Christ. um, And there's groups now that are really uh, targeting that process. This year there are 2.56 billion Christians in the world. About a third of us believe in Christ, which is, I think, amazing. By 2050, Africa will have 1.3 billion Christians, 
We have a little bit of a skewed view in the U.S. and maybe in Europe because we're in what we call postmodern Christianity, which is where a country has, has become Christian and then has become modernized and then has started rejecting Christianity, in part because all of our needs are met. We have everything we need to take care of us. Um, and also in part, I think, because of the entertainment industry. We have every entertainment available to take up our time and distract us from who God is. However, in other parts of the world, they don't have that kind of problem. This is surprising to me. Iran has three million Christians. I would never have guessed that. We have to remember they're severely persecuted Christians. Six million African Muslims convert to Christianity every year. It's a, a fact that shocks me because when I was um, growing up, when my, when my parents were missionaries and I was a kid, one of the things we knew was that you couldn't reach Muslims. We knew missionaries that spent their whole life in a Muslim country and had three people that converted to Christ. Um, so we, we, in our minds, you could not convert Muslims. That has completely changed now. There are huge um, movements of the Holy Spirit where Muslims are coming to know Christ. Um, in part, I mentioned briefly um, my sister's son, who uh, is in Ethiopia, was in Ethiopia as a missionary, um, and he was one of the people that started the Ethiopian uh, conversion of Muslims to Christianity, um, and has actually taught all over the world about how to reach Muslims. And we also think uh, America is the Christian country. Uh, the largest church in the world um, is actually in South Korea. Uh, the largest church in Africa outdoes anything we have in the U.S. The largest church in Africa is in Nigeria. 275,000 people attend every Sunday morning, which is just mind-blowing to me. The church in South Korea has 800,000 people that attend, <laughs> which I can't even imagine. We could put our whole city in like a corner of their church. Um, our faith is not a fable. Uh, and I like to remind myself of this because uh, so many religions are based on sort of fantasy and fable, cute stories, uh, ideas that somebody wrote down. You know, there's uh, Buddha and you have to learn how to, to become transcendent in your meditation and you have to learn to be good and you have to learn to do this and do that. Um, our faith is not based on some great um, idea or fantasy. Our faith is actually built on reality. Um, and this is actually a picture there in the background. That's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and if you go there, you can see where Jesus walked and you can um, see where his disciples lived and you can walk in his footsteps. Uh, and it's uh, and when you're there and you study the archaeology, you quickly realize that there's no idea in Israel that this is a fantasy or this is some story. This is real. This is, this is stuff that archaeologists are actually investigating. Uh, there's no doubt about whether or not Jesus was a person or whether or not he walked around in Israel. And so I'm shameless plug here. Ren and I are hoping to lead a trip to Israel in 2024, probably March or April. So if you're interested... Um, we're going to start working towards that and organizing that. Another thing that reminds me about the difference between Christianity and other religions um, is that all other religions have the word do, what you need to do to go to heaven. Um, you have to do these things. 
You have to, if you're a Muslim, you have to pray five times a day. You have to give alms to the poor. Um, and there's a list of things that you have to do in order, in order to, uh, to go to heaven. Whereas Christianity, Jesus did it. It's not something that we do. It's something that God has done for us. Um, and it's a reminder that, that our faith is based on God, not based on what man achieves. So, without foundation, um, let's look at some things that are a little, little bit deeper. And this one is very important to me. Jesus is a living God, active in our lives. What I mean by that is th that he is not an idol. Um, so many times uh, you'll um, read in scripture about idols, and I used to think idols were kind of a thing of the past, but then uh, I noticed America started being enchanted with crystals and little icons, and uh, you, you can go into a shop and buy idols for your home that will protect you and keep you safe. Um, probably right here in Homer, I would guess. And all other, all other places. And so we have this, as humans, we have this desire to have a thing that has some spiritual meaning to us that's going to, going to keep us safe in some way. A good luck charm or uh, something like that. Those things, obviously, we know logically, they're dead. They have no meaning, no ability to save us, no, no actual reality in our lives. Um, and the truth is, our Redeemer is alive. And he is with us and he is acting for us on our behalf. One of my favorite scriptures is uh, the scripture that says that the Holy Spirit prays for us when we don't know what to say ourselves. He is active on our behalf. Jesus is at the Father's right hand praying for us. Uh, there's a wonderful song called My Redeemer Lives. And the next time I have to preach a series, it'll be on My Redeemer Lives. Um, and I'm going to use a couple of songs, words from a couple of songs this morning, because songs are able to kind of look back at all of Scripture and take little pieces. I love the way some of these are phrased. My Redeemer lives. There is another in the fire standing next to me. Now, if you don't know, that's a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, when they were thrown into the fire because they wouldn't bow down and worship an idol, and standing with them in the fire, protecting them from the fire, was a person uh, who from scripture we know is Christ. There is another in the water holding back the sea. Again, a reference to the Old Testament to Moses and the Red Sea. I think we all probably easily recognize that one. There is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. And so we don't serve a statue. We don't serve a good luck charm. We don't serve, I, I, was, we were all, I was watching a show with Renda the other night uh, alone where they have to go out and live by themselves. And one of the characters, one of the people that's all by themselves um, was saying, I have to be good to nature so nature will be good to me. And I thought, wow, I'm so sorry that that's, nature's actually not very kind if you look at it closely. Um, <laughs> But I have a Redeemer that lives, that walks with me, that knows what my tomorrow will be, that knows my fears and my failures, knows that I have just a few years to live on earth, cares about me um, as if, as I care for one of my children. My Redeemer lives. 
Truth I can have. Go after a life of love as if your life depended on it, because it does. So this is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that uh, devotional fiercely loved. Uh, you are fiercely loved. And uh, I love the way she phrases this. Love fearlessly because there's no fear in love. The reason why there's no fear in love, if you try to think, why, why, does, why does that work? What does that mean? That doesn't even mean anything to me. I, I don't understand that. Well, the answer is, if you think about a child who's being threatened and their mom next to them, let's say it's Alaska, let's say it's a bear, what will that mom do? Will she be afraid of the bear and run away? No, of course not. She will protect her child, even at the cost of her own life. She'll have no fear at all because it's her child that she's protecting. That's what it means when it says there's no fear in love. When we have the love and the passion that God has, we're not afraid anymore. Selflessly, because love is not selfish. I think all of us struggle with selfishness. Maybe you all don't. I do. Um, and I think it's something that God gradually teaches us to, to give up um, and to start to recognize in ourselves. Um, I, I've noticed that I am selfish about food. Uh, and it got worse when we had seven kids and they ate all the food in the house. Um, I would never have hidden a piece of chocolate cake somewhere. Would not do such a thing. <laughs> My dad said he never got angry until he had kids. Free of offense, love is not easily offended. Now, I'll be honest, I get offended. Um, so if you do something that is harmful to me and I get offended and you'll be like, um, Edson, you're supposed to be loving and not offended. After a while, I'll remember the scripture, remember that Jesus died for you too and that I'm not supposed to be offended. It takes me a little while. I think God just has me keep repeating this lesson because I'm not very good at it. But free of offense, love is not easily offended. Triumphantly, because love never fails. I think when I look at, for example, my dad's life, I think, although there are many failures along the way, when you get to the end and you've lived a life of love, you realize God was triumphant through that life. And then endlessly, because love is eternal. Remember, faith, hope, and love, but faith and hope will pass away because we won't need those in heaven, but love will continue eternally. Um, I always, when I talk about love, I like to ask the question, what does love look like on a practical, from a practical standpoint? All those things I just read are, are meaningful and, and, and have, have a lot, but they're, it's a little bit hard sometimes to put them into practice. Um, and this is what I think about when I think about what love looks like. So my sister and her husband um, had to come back to the States because one of their uh, children um, kind of had the mental age of about a five-year-old. And as he got older, he really needed some training and some uh, systems that were not available in Ethiopia. So they took a leave of absence from Ethiopia to give him some time to get proper uh, education for what he was able to do. Um, and so they were trying to decide what to do with their lives, and they decided to run a program in uh, Gainesville, Florida, called Christians Concerned for the Community. It's just what they called it. Um, but their, the idea was they would go to every church in the community in Gainesville and present to them this idea 
Um, if you will support us just a little bit, uh, what we will do is help people in your church meet the needs of people that need help in Gainesville. So like if you were a carpenter, you could build a handicap ramp for somebody that needed a ramp when suddenly someone in their family needed a wheelchair to get into the house. If you were a mechanic, you could do an oil change for somebody that, that needed an oil change that couldn't afford it or needed their car fixed because they couldn't get to work because their car broke down. So they kind of put needs and availability, ability together. Um, they also provided uh, furniture. So if you want to donate furniture, you're getting rid of an old couch, they would keep it and then give it to someone that needed a couch. And on Sundays, if you happen to show up at their house, there would be 15, 20 people there. Most of them often were people they had never met themselves. They just ran into them that week and said, hey, you want to come to our house on Sunday? The food wasn't fancy. Um, it was usually some kind of stew, really cheap stew. Um, but the love was plentiful. And everyone at the table would be asked, how can we pray for you? What, what, what do you need that we can help with? Um, and it was a place where you just, you just automatically knew everyone here is going to get some love today. And I think that's kind of what love looks like. Love is very practical. It meets people's needs. That's why, like I've said before, I love that our church says at the end, if you're hungry, come see someone. There's, there's resources, there's things available. Love, love is about being with each other and caring for each other, um, especially those that are um, struggling and having the hardest time. Another truth that I can have, his love is there. There's a Hebrew word for the name, one of the names of God. It's one of my favorite names. It's Yahweh Shammah. Um, and it means the Lord is there. And when it means the Lord is there, it doesn't mean like over there, but the Lord is there in the place that you are going already waiting on you. Yahweh Shema. When Rand and I were relatively newly married, my sister said to me, hey Edson, we're going to a marriage conference. We would love for you guys to come. And we were newly married and we thought that sounds like a great idea. We should go to this marriage conference. So we show up. Um, we were both in uh, residency, so it was actually a little bit of a difficult thing for us to both get time off, but we managed to do it. We show up, and my parents were watching the kids, and we show up, and, <laughs> and we're like, everybody here is over 70. Like, this is really a little bit weird. Well, it turned out that it was a conference on grace, but my sister had decided we would not come for a conference on grace, but we would come for a marriage conference. To this day, she denies she did that, but Ren and, Ren and I know the truth. Um, so anyway, it was a conference on grace, and it was very special, and it had a lot of meaning for us. The speaker was a little bit senile. He announced at the very beginning, at the, at the beginning of the conference, he said, I'm, I am getting older in my years. I tend to forget what I'm talking about. And he would pick out somebody in the audience, and he would say, you're responsible for remembering what I was talking about, and you have to remind me when I get off track. And every once in a while, he would stop and be like, what was I talking about? He was, he was a great guy. He had an incredible life with Christ. And that was the joy of what he was sharing was his, his stories. Um, so he was a pastor at one point and had kind of retired. Um, his wife died. And um, he decided that uh, God was calling him to move. So he moved to another town and kind of lost some of his support system that he had. And then he found out, uh, went to the doctor, he wasn't feeling good, found out that he had colon cancer. 
Um, and so he had to have surgery, and uh, he woke up in his room after his surgery by himself, alone. And his doctor came in and said, uh, it wasn't good. Um, we weren't able to get it all. Uh, you probably have about six months left, and walked out. And he was laying there in bed by himself uh, with no family, no one around. And he called out to God and said, I gave you all those years of my life. I've done all this for you. How could you do this to me? Where are you? And God said, I am Yahweh Shema. I was in this room waiting on you when you came in. We're here together, and it's going to be okay. I will take care of you. He is there ahead of us. He is there before us. He is there on our days when we find out some disaster, something terrible has happened. God is already there. It's not a surprise to him. It's a shock to us, but not to him. He is waiting on us in the dark times. You all know these two verses, uh, but I want to share them. I just want to say them out loud. Uh, they have so much meaning in my life when I am in those times of, of struggle and darkness. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. And it's companion verse in the New Testament from Paul. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. Those are the verses I pull out on the days when something's happened with one of my kids. On the days when we get a bad news about being sick, something's wrong with us. On the days when we're scared, those are the verses that we pull out. Truths that I can have, fear not. Hmm. So I'm going to tell you the story after the verse, but it, it's quite a story, short story, but has a lot of meaning for me. But now God's message, don't be afraid, I've redeemed you, I've called your name, you are mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God. The Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. So when I was in Tennessee, one of my jobs was to do... Um, fairly complex procedure where if someone had a tumor in their liver, um, we would order radiation beads, little tiny radiation beads, um, and we would put them through their bloodstream in a little catheter, a little tube, um, into the liver and have them deposit in and around that tumor. And the radiation would then kill everything in that little area where we, de where we deposited those beads. And the idea was, of course, that it would kill the tumor. Um, it was never something that we considered to be like completely successful, but we were something that we would use to control a tumor that there wasn't any other treatment for if chemotherapy was no longer working. And I had a patient that had a, a kind of tumor called a cholangiocarcinoma, which is a tumor that radiation and chemotherapy doesn't do a very good job for. 
And it was her fourth treatment. So she had come three times, and three times we had done this procedure for her. It's a pretty complex procedure. It's hard to go through, and you don't feel very good afterwards. Um, but it had kept her alive and, and been uh, helpful for her. And she came in for the fourth treatment because it had started growing again on her, on her uh, CT scan. And um, one of the things we do before we start the procedures, we check all the lab work to make sure the patient is still a candidate. And it turned out she was not. She was sicker than we could treat. And I went in and sat by her bed as she was waiting in, in the pre-op area to say to her, there's really nothing I can do for you. I can treat you if you want, but it probably will not go well for you. It's probably not the right thing to do. And that's bad news, right? That's the kind of thing, as a doctor, you're expecting some grief. You're expecting probably some anger, um, those types of reactions, some fear. This particular lady, I told her all of that information, and she smiled at me and she said, don't you worry, Dr. Knapp, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. And I thought, wow, that's kind of an unusual reaction. And I said to her, how are you, how are you so comfortable with this news? And she said, I, had no, I didn't know this at the time. She just said to me, oh, I know God, I'm a Christian. I've walked with him all my life, and I'm ready to go home and be with him. And as I was coming in today, I, I realized that there was a good chance that you couldn't do this, and he told me it's okay, and I'm, I'm going to go home and be with him. We prayed together. I shed more tears, I think, than she did. She was gone three days later. I hope that I have that faith and that lack of fear when I face that day. Truths I can have love others. When Ren and I were talking about this series, one of the things we thought that we wanted to share is that there are times when you're just really struggling and you're really in a difficult place and you, you need someone to come alongside and just say, hey, I love you. Um, but it's also something healing about ministering, about touching other people. Um, and so if you're in a state where just everything's gone wrong and, you know, you're, you're asking for prayer every, every chance that you can get and you just really feel like you're struggling, I would encourage you to find a place to use any talent you have, any ability you have to help someone else. It's, there's something about getting involved where God is working that is healing to us when we're going through a hard time. It takes us away from our own struggles and our own difficulties and reminds us that other people need love. And in being God for someone, uh, there's some healing for you. There's a lot of things available here in Homer. We have people that are hungry. We have people that are homeless. Uh, we have people that are thirsty. We have people that need any skill that you have. Um, and if you are not involved, you're, you know, just come up and ask uh, one of us. There's lots of places that you, you can be touched. We're reminded that this is our calling by God. John 13, 34 and 35. Let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I have loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. When they see the love you have for each other.
You know, when we think about the treasure that God has given us, our church, his word, um, all that he has put together for us, I like the way this songwriter put it all together for me, um, looking at Scripture. Scripture was written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, 40-plus different authors. Some of them were not quite sure who wrote them. Um, and yet there's this theme in Scripture, and of course that theme is it's his story. So it all matches together. It all comes together so well. So I wanted to read this um, with you. Because in every book of the Bible, there's something about Christ who is love for us. It's very powerful for me. Um, it's not like the best song. So if you go and listen to it, you'll be like, I'm not quite sure what Edson saw in this, but I love the words. So there you go. The history of love. In Genesis, love is the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. Numbers, the fire by night. Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he is salvation's choice. Judges, lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. A real quick pause there. If we go to Israel together, Ruth lived in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread which is where David was born and also where Jesus was born, the house of bread, the bread giver. First and second Samuel, our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's sovereign. Ezra, true and faithful scribe. Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and broken lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, he's the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he's our morning song. In Proverbs, wisdom's cry, Ecclesiastes, the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. In Isaiah, the prince of peace. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Lamentations, the cry for Israel. Our mercies are new every morning. Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. And Daniel, the stranger in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he's the spirit's power. In Amos, the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he is the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, the great missionary. In Micah, the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores a lost heritage. In Zechariah, our fountain. In Malachi, love is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, Messiah. In the book of Acts, he's fire from heaven, the Holy Spirit within us. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In Corinthians, the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. Ephesians, our glorious treasure. Philippians, the servant heart. In Colossians, he's the Godhead Trinity. In Thessalonians, he is our coming king. In Titus, 
Timothy Philemon. He is our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, the everlasting covenant. In James, he is the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our shepherd. In John and Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in Revelation, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, love, and by love I mean the one that died for us, the one that wrote all those words for us. His beauty and love will chase after you every day of your life. It doesn't matter whether you're walking away from him or walking towards him. It doesn't matter what you're doing each day. He will pursue you unrelentingly, fiercely, every moment of your life. He is love for you. We're going to ask our elders to come up front in just a minute. And I invite you, if you want to come up front and just say, God, I need your love. If you want to come up front and just have a moment to pray with one of the elders, I'm going to invite you. Um, of course, we also have a, an opportunity for offering. And we have um, worship with Chris and his team. And we have communion. And I love communion because communion is when we remember his love. This do in remembrance of me just before he gave his life for us. So I've enjoyed my series with you guys. God heals our past. He loves our past. God loves us today. And God has a future for us, a future of love. Bless you all. I'll see you again in five years. <laughs> well, my prayer um, this morning for all of us is that uh, the places that there's confusion, there would be clarity. As Jesus speaks to those places, where there's darkness, there would be light. There would be loneliness. You would feel the affection and nearness of Jesus. Um, if you didn't have the opportunity to respond, I want to give the invitation one more time to you after the service. The prayer team, uh, there'll be a, a couple over there if you want to go get prayer. Um, Jesus is here and he wants to meet you. He wants to meet us in those places. So that's my prayer this morning for us all. Um, Edson, thank you so much for sharing. Um, if you're here, you don't know where your next meal is coming from, come talk to me or any of the staff. Uh, we have something for you. And for the rest of you, we don't actually end officially till 1230. So you've got a whole 30 minutes to hang out with your lovely friends, help with tear down. And uh, yeah, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless.